Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Revamp Jump Ball Podcast. My name is Joseph Keane, and I am now having to do this for the third time this week. If I lose the audio again, I think I'm just going to start pulling out my goddamn hair. Because, seriously, it's annoying. But uh, it is currently 10.30 a.m. on this Thursday, almost that afternoon, morning. Um, and last night, uh, we had Miami, Boston, game four, the Miami Heat took it 112-109, we'll talk about that a bit later. We also found out yesterday that apparently, uh, Los Angeles Chargers quarterback Tyrod Taylor suffered a punctured lung being administered a painkiller shot for cracked ribs during Sunday's game. Gonna talk about that a bit more later or rather express confusion at it a bit more later. But figured the past two times I did this episode, or tried to do this episode, uh, started with the NFL. But figured, you know, just had uh, Denver Nuggets game three on Tuesday? Tuesday. I want to say it was Tuesday. Had to be Tuesday. But, um... So yeah, I figured we'd start with that first. So starting off with NBA-related uh, stuff. Obviously, this isn't going to be the longest segment just because it's mainly just going to be recapping the two games, who I thought did really well, who I thought could have done better. And you get the drift. All right, so starting with Nuggets-Lakers game three. The Denver Nuggets, as I said, or didn't say, I can't remember. I'm still waking up. Uh, won 114-106. to 106. Um, Nuggets came out with really good momentum, played really well first half the entire way, then held the Lakers to just 22 points to their to the Nuggets' 30 in the third quarter, despite being outscored 31-21. The Nuggets were basically able to keep control of the entire game. Grant, Jokic, Murray, all those guys scored 20-plus. Uh, Marcus Morris, Markeith Morris, it's got to be Markeith Morris because Marcus Morris is on the Clippers. Uh, contributed 14 off the bench, um, 5-7 shooting. He played really well. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, contributed 9 points, 6 boards, 2 assists, 2 steals uh, on 4-6 of six shooting. Meanwhile, for the Los Angeles Lakers, it uh, was obviously, you know, the starting lineup, LeBron, AD, they did their thing. LeBron had 30 points, 10 boards, 11 assists. Anthony Davis, 27 points, only 2 rebounds. And uh, one assist. That was that 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 surprised me. The fact that Anthony Davis was only able to pull down one rebound. He also didn't record a single block. Finished with four personal fouls. Oh, oh, four from three. Not oh of ten. That'd be God. That'd be horrible. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, the only Laker to score ten or more off the Lakers bench with eleven on four seven shooting. Rajon Rondo, uh, however, chipped in nine points. Uh, eight assists and three steals, but he also finished with four turnovers and four personal fouls, putting him at minus 13 in the plus-minus category. So, how were the Denver Nuggets able to get some momentum and to make this... They basically made it a series again. They showed that, you know, they were able to get a game plan going that was uh, basically able to give them a momentum for most of the game. 
Um, obviously, uh, keeping Anthony Davis out of the rebounding helped a lot. The Lakers were out-rebounded 25-44. to 44. Uh, LeBron was the only Laker to have five or more rebounds. So, obviously, that paid a huge, 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 huge piece in the Nuggets being able to win. Also forcing the Lakers to shoot 6-26 from three. Meanwhile, the Nuggets shot 11-29. Um, Lakers shot 14-22 from the charity strike. Nuggets 23-29. Uh, overall, Lakers shot 52%. The Nuggets 55. So overall, just from stats-wise, the Nuggets played better. Uh, Jokic, Murray, they did their thing. Jamal Murray, he finished with 12 assists. Also chipped in 8 rebounds and 2 steals. Uh, Joker, 10 boards, 5 assists. Steal and a block to go with his 22 points. But he also had 5 turnovers and 4 personal fouls. Um, he and Murray combined had 9 turnovers. So that was... Yeah, that was that was the one battle the Lakers were really able to win, but even then, they only won the turnover battle by two less. So, what helped? Um, like I said, now here's the thing: I'm gonna be saying, like I said, a lot in terms of talking about the uh, two uh, playoff games we had because I talked about this uh, Tuesday, but like I said. The audio um, didn't get saved <laughs> when the app crashed that I use for this. I use Anchor to uh, record my podcasts, um, and the audio didn't save. The app crashed. I'm blaming iOS 14 because it's been crashing apps left and right just randomly. Hope to God it doesn't do the same thing here. If it does, I'm going to cry. Uh, but, however, when in the second take when I was uh, recording this, I said that if they could stop Anthony Davis, they can win. And for the most part, yeah, he still scored 27. He shot 9-17. They forced him. They were able to get him to not make a single three. But again, you kept him off the boards. You kept him off the glass. And he had four personal fouls, which I was only able to catch the first half of the game um, before I got caught up with other stuff and then had to uh, – and then started playing with uh, Chance and Jordan and them, and Trey. But, uh, yeah, no, they just, it, at that point, I would assume after AD picked up that fourth foul, I don't know what happened. It could have been, like, very late in the fourth, uh, early fourth quarter, late third quarter. But after that fourth personal foul, he's going to have to start playing a bit less aggressive on uh, defense to ensure he doesn't foul out. Um, which will just make it easier on guys like Jokic and Murray to be able to score. Um, and on top of that, other people stepped up. Uh, you know, Porter, Morris, 9-14 uh, respectively. Grant had 26 on 7 of 11 shooting, 10 of 12 from the free throw line. Um, and that's really all they needed uh, was just two more, two, three more guys to help contribute with the scoring and then, you know, keep Anthony Davis from dominating the game. That was the whole point that I made. Excuse me, when I uh, did the second take of this, um, because you know Javale and Dwight, you know, you're not too worried about them really going off. Uh, Green hasn't been able to shoot 
to save his life in the playoffs so far, or just the bubble in general. And KCP is KCP. Everyone saw the memes and jokes they made about him. Uh, so, looking towards game four, which is played tonight at 8.30, I believe. Um, game four. What needs to happen? Obviously, you want to be able to keep Anthony Davis from controlling the paint, whether it be scoring, defense, or rebounding in general again. Um, you would like for Grant to have kind of the same performance he had in game uh, three. I don't know if he's going to go off for 25 or more in back-to-back games. Um, make sure that you do, or uh, rather, that the coaching staff draws in a lot of plays that will help uh Jokic and Murray be able to get the looks they want. Um, <clears throat> again, like I said, control the glass. Uh, if they could get another two guys scoring just about 10 or more each at the same time while also getting maybe like one or two steals from at least one of them. Um, take away the three-point ball. You know, obviously in today's NBA taking away the three should be a huge emphasis for any team. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the Nuggets right now, they don't have all the momentum in the world. I'm not saying that. Just because, again, they're the underdogs here. But that little bit of momentum they got with this win, I think will help them play uh, a lot better in game four. Um to the point to where this game may end up like game two, where it comes down to a last shot. Hopefully they don't flub on defense and let Anthony Davis have a wide-open look from three or someone else have a wide-open look from three again because to do that two games in the same series is going to really make you look bad. But uh, prediction for game four, I'm going to say Nuggets 103, Lakers 100. With the Nuggets tying the series and now putting all the pressure on the Lakers to not become another victim on the Nuggets uh, underdog road to the finals. Now we switch gears over. With that done, now we switch gears over to game four of the Eastern Conference Finals. Boston-Miami. Boston just had a phenomenal game three where they had four starters score 20 or more. But this game, it didn't happen. Uh, just looking at it like this in terms of fouls. Just, this is just a starting lineup of Boston's 24 team fouls committed. Jalen Brown had five. Marcus Smart had six. And Jason Tatum had four. That's not great. Granted, Marcus Smart, he didn't foul out until the last minute and a half or so of the fourth quarter. But they obviously could have used him down the stretch there. Um, in terms of Miami, really the only ones who got close to foul trouble were Jay Crowder and Duncan Robinson. Ironically enough, the two guys who weren't really being able to contribute that much on offense, Duncan Robinson shot 0 of 5, 0 of 4 from 3. Jay Crowder shot 1 of 9, 1 of 7 from 3. This game could have been a lot worse for Boston if Miami was just being able to take advantage of second chance points and be able to knock down their threes. Um, that was something that Mike Breen... And uh, the rest of the guys talked about during the broadcast was Miami was leaving way too many points on the floor when they had such good chances for second chance points. Um, 
Another key talking point was Jason Tatum going 0-6 in the first half. That really, really shot Boston in the foot because the first half uh, was close all the way throughout. Miami was leading 50-44, to I believe, at half. And uh, you just got to wonder, if Tatum doesn't go 0-6, does Boston actually go into the locker room with a lead? It wouldn't be pretty sure they've had a lead going into halftime every single game this series. It would have been the same old, same old. It may have broken Miami's spirit a bit. But because of the fact that they were able to hold possibly Boston's best scorer to 0-6 in the first half was a real confidence boost for Miami. It's also the fact that Miami only committed a, that Miami only committed eight turnovers. They only committed two in the fourth quarter when they were attempting to close out the game. That was huge for Miami, especially with how suffocating Boston's defense has been at times in this series to only finish with eight turnovers to Boston's 19. That was huge, especially when you take a look at the fact that Boston shot better from three. They shot, granted, they shot 14 of 44. They were, they were basically forced to take the same looks that Miami was forced to take in game three. Um, Miami was 10 of 37 from three. That should be alarming. Um, if you're Eric Spolster to Miami, he is. You just had back-to-back games where your bread and butter just isn't there for you at all. Granted, this game, Miami adapt. Um... They got to the line more. They went to the line 27 times, made 24 of their free throws. Uh, They were out-rebounded 46-40. to The Celtics had more uh, playmaking done, having 28 assists to Miami's 20. But again, it's those turnovers. The turnovers killed Boston. It's an 11-turnover differential between Boston and Miami. Um, but a biggest factor that you've probably already seen multiple different sports outlets talking about was the performance of Tyler James Hero. 37 points, six boards, three assists, only one turnover, five of 10 from three, 14 of 21 overall, most points scored by a Heat rookie in a playoff game. And I believe he now has the second or third most points scored by a rookie in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, He was exactly what Miami needed. Especially, you know, Goran Dragic, 22 points, 5 boards, 3 assists, 2 steals, 80-21. Jimmy Butler, 24 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, steal and a block. Uh, Excuse me. 80-20 shooting, bam at a bio, 20 points, 12 boards, 4 assists, 2 steals. Seven for 11. Um, Bam apparently was dinged up in game three, aggravated the injury uh, on a tie-up with Jason Tatum uh, during game four. He was seen clutching at his wrist. I don't know if it's a wrist or shoulder injury, but apparently after a full day's rest, Bam Adebayo will be ready to go to play in game five with Miami with a chance to get back to the NBA finals and close the coffin on this series. Um, that game's not played till Friday, I believe it is that. Tip-off is 8.30, I want to say so. Um, but So that's more so like 8.40 with NBA tip-off times as of late. Um, 
But looking ahead to game five. Uh, if Miami does this, they will get to the finals with only a sing with only two losses. And it'll be a series that Boston is left shaking their head out because if anything, Boston should be up 3-1 right now. But they haven't been able to finish. That is what killed them. This game, they had two calls go their way. And the game should have been over with a minute left. And instead, they were able to keep it going until the final buzzer. Um, But game one, weren't able to close out. Game two, weren't able to close out. Game three, capitalized on Miami playing, in Jimmy Butler's words, lazy as hell. They take that game. This game, again, uh, turnovers and just uh, the offense getting off to a subpar start in the first half. Really costed them. Um, if this kind of performance happens again in game five, I don't know if Miami is going to give Boston a chance to get back into it. Um, I think that as of today and tomorrow, Miami is going to work on capitalizing on second chance opportunities a lot more than they did in this game. Um, I'm sure Jason Tatum will come out with a vengeance. In game five, but however, if he isn't hitting his shots, then that's going to really hurt his team. Um, In terms of the bench, I think uh, we'll see Gordon Hayward try to be a bit more aggressive. uh, Especially when you look at the fact, or you consider the fact that Williams and Wanamaker aren't really seen as like bench players who have to score for Boston. Uh, Meanwhile, on Miami's side... uh, they're probably hoping and praying that Tyler Hero comes into Game 5 still hot uh, from Game 4. Um, I think you'll see more plays designed to help Jay and Duncan get off to better starts. Uh, if Bam is healthy, he's probably going to be going all out. Same with Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic. Basically... Miami and Boston are both going to be playing like teams fighting to survive. You know, um, I think they're both going to come in with the mentality of they're going to treat this as if they're down 0-3 and it's game four. Um, Boston especially, that little, um, that could end up giving Boston a bit more of an edge. And to me, I don't see this series ending in five. For the Miami Heat, I see them ending it in six, or we'll see a third blown three-one lead. Um, you never really know when it comes to the bubble, uh, but Boston is going to do everything they can to not go down in five, and Miami is going to be th- pulling out every single stop because for Miami, you end it here, you get a few extra days of rest. Because the L.A.-Denver series is a game behind. And so, at that point, um, obviously too much rest can be a bad thing. It can make you get off to a sluggish start in game one, maybe even game two. Um, They addressed that when uh, Miami started the series against Milwaukee. Because Miami had that sweep and got a few extra days of rest. Meanwhile, Milwaukee got taken to five by Orlando. Um... But I think Game 5 is going to be very entertaining. It uh, is going to be very um, 
tit for tat or uh, possibly a bit more explosive and pushy. You might see guys, pro- you're probably going to see at least like two people get a technical if I had to pick who those two guys are going to be for Boston, obviously Marcus Smart, and then for Miami, probably either Jay Crowder or Jimmy Butler. Um, but yeah, game five prediction, I have Boston winning 106 to 100. Um, I think that Jason Tatum is going to have a really good bounce back game. And I think that Kemba and Jalen Brown are going to continue to play as well as they have. And Marcus Smart is going to be incredibly active on the defensive end, which is going to lead to a few more steals, a few more turnovers forced on Miami. Um, possibly even be able to draw a few offensive fouls. And they'll be able to keep the series alive. So, you know, you can disagree if you want. But to me, I just don't see Boston letting themselves go down 4-1. Um, especially... In my eyes, this is Boston's like last real chance to get a good shot at the finals. I think if they don't get it this year, um, they're not going to be able to replicate the success they had this year. Uh, granted, they were only... Um, well, actually, okay, no. I was looking. I was thinking about this all wrong. I don't know why the hell I just thought Boston and Miami were only like a game apart. But then I remember Miami finished the season like forty four and twenty nine, and Boston like forty nine and twenty three or forty. Eight and twenty-four. Um, did include the records with their notes on my computer, but uh, yeah, I think this is Boston's last real good opportunity to uh, get to the finals with this group. Um, just because I don't know, you know, it it make another year of coming up short, and then yes, you can make the argument that. A, that that eventually is going to help them and they are going to be able to get out of that hump. But you could also make the argument that's going to curse your spirit. And anytime they get to the conference finals and they get down like this, they're just going to think, well, fuck, here we go. History is repeating itself. But with uh, that said, we're about 22 minutes in this episode. Now we'll switch over to uh, college football and the NFL, starting off with college football and how COVID-19 has been affecting the college football landscape. Um, I believe it was yesterday afternoon that was announced that yet another game was going to have to be postponed. Um, I believe it was actually Notre Dame's game, um, if I remember right. But they had a few guys uh, test positive for COVID. That's another game that's once again going to have to be postponed. And, um, you know, one, you really got to feel bad for the players. Because at this point, a lot of them had to be getting restless. They had to be getting pissed off. Just because the decision to postpone the game, they're not getting the results until literally like a couple days before game day. And obviously, you know, the closer and closer you get without the team announcing there was a positive test, we can't play, the more and more you're going to be like, hell yeah, we're finally going to be able to play. And then... That happens. Uh, like, for instance, in the ACC, Virginia Tech, they're supposed to open against NC State this weekend. But, however, Justin Fuente says he doesn't know if they'll be able to play because um, they don't have full position groups across the board due to COVID. And they still have more tests. We're waiting to see if there's positive uh, cases from. So it might be another case of literally the day before Virginia Tech finding out if they're going to be able to play or not. Um, meanwhile, you've had the Big Ten, who I believe is supposed to uh, – 
join uh, play starting first weekend of October, I think. Um, and obviously that is going to have an impact on the top 25 and how that's going to shape out because obviously, you know, if teams like Ohio State, Michigan, um, you know, big teams like that, Penn State, if they get off and have a really dominant win, obviously they're going to be put into the top 25. There's no way they aren't. And so obviously that means that some poor bastards who weren't even ranked at the beginning of the year but because of all the postponements were able to sneak in, well, then you're gone. Um, and obviously they're not going to be happy about that, but it's one of those things where the top 25 committee is just going to be like, well, you weren't even really supposed to be here. And yeah, that's kind of like an asshole thing to do, but the top 25 and college football playoff committee are known for like ripping people's hearts out and curb stomping them. Um, so yeah. Uh, speaking of Big Ten, Nebraska was possibly given the biggest middle finger a conference has ever given a school. Um, if you didn't know, Nebraska was the only school that, where the coaches and players, uh, or just the coaches, I don't know, I've seen so many different reports on it that they all conflict on who were the ones who in mass said no, but, uh, they were the only school who outright said, we don't want to play, we don't want to risk it, and so the Big Ten committee proceeded to schedule their first four or five games to be against all top 25 opponents. And considering the fact that Nebraska doesn't really have a good football program right now, it's obvious. Oh, you can sit there and not be a tinfoil hat and say that it's just a coincidence, but I don't think that. I think the Big Ten 100% did this on purpose. I think they knew um, what they were doing was 100% intentional and not just a coincidence because of how the rankings have played out. Uh, and so, oh, excuse me. Basically, Nebraska's probably, season's probably going to be over by week five, week six. It's only like a 10-week season anyways um, for the regular season. But it's not like Nebraska was predicted to compete for the Big Ten title anyways. So, uh I think that Big Ten is either it's it's either going to be very hard to watch the first few weeks, or maybe the extra month of prep time will help improve it. Maybe the Big Ten will be the most entertaining conference this year because of that. Uh, I don't know. Um, me personally, I think the status quo for the Big Ten for this year, even with everything that's happened, is probably going to remain the same with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin all being like the top four teams. Um, Ohio State, I don't, uh, let me say this actually, I don't know if my, if Ohio State's going to get back to the Big Ten Conference Championship. I think Wisconsin can make it back. Um, Penn State, I'm iffy about, uh, but James Franklin, hell of a coach. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he is able to get them back there. And Michigan, 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 Michigan. All right, so everyone, if you follow college football, you know the whole spiel with Harbaugh's Michigan team. They are the kings of college football of coming up short. Ohio State has whipped their ass every single time. Urban Meyer actually yesterday afternoon came out and said that he does not regret running the score up on Michigan, which I thought was pretty funny just because that's petty as hell. Um, so, yeah, no, I think if Michigan 
One, if they don't beat Ohio State this year, and two, they don't get to the uh, Big Ten title game and win, I think this could be Harbaugh's last year in college football. Where he goes after that, I don't know. He could go back to the NFL, or he might just retire from coaching. Um, but yeah, I haven't been given a reason to be confident that this Michigan team will finally be able to get over the hump. Um, didn't see a lot last year that made me think this team was in a terrific spot going forward. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and when it comes to the college football landscape, uh, the ACC, like pretty sure everyone is already predicting Clemson to win the conference again, unless like Derek King and Miami are like the surprise team of the year. Um, or I don't know if Tech is able to get back to their winning ways at like peak Beamer era, um, which I really doubt just because, again, Tech is like a COVID minefield right now. Uh, SEC probably, well, never mind. LSU also has a lot of guys out the COVID. Oh, shit. Huh. I guess just assume roll tide and then wait to see what happens. Uh, Big 12. Big 12. See, the natural thing would just to be, say, Oklahoma. But I'm not buying into the hype of Spencer Rattler. Um... I didn't really get the hype around him when he appeared on uh, QB1 on Netflix. Um, didn't get the hype around him then. So, uh, I don't know. Um, UT, I'm, I'm, I'm very hesitant to pick UT just because anytime we say Texas is back, they then flounder in the middle of the year. Um, you know, this is just an awkward year to try to pick who's going to dominate college football. Because... It's just tough. It, it's tough to have to do. Um, again, because of COVID and all that, and I'm sure it's going to be like that all year, which sucks, but eh, that's just 2020. So moving on to the NFL. Uh, tonight's game is if anybody cares about these two teams. I don't know if you do or not, but you got Fitzmagic against Minshew Mania. Um, kickoff is at 820. It's... Uh, a Jacksonville team that's looked pretty solid. Um, they're one and one. Miami they played well last week, but they still dropped to zero and two. And uh, was gonna talk about how this past week transpired, but instead let's focus on this and specifically games to watch. Obviously, the biggest game for uh, week three of the NFL is Kansas City and Baltimore at Monday <clears throat> or at Monday on Monday. Um, you got the Texans and the Steelers playing, uh, Raiders in New England. Raiders have looked pretty damn solid to start the season. Uh, so if Cam Newton and the Patriots, excuse me, uh, Dallas and Seattle, those matchups typically always fun to watch, especially, and also, God, can't stop hiccuping. Um, and then Green Bay and New Orleans, Sunday night football, uh, then you have some other ones uh, like uh, Chicago and Atlanta. 
Um, Chicago off to a two and I want to say they're off to a two and a start. Meanwhile, Atlanta just gave another game away in a really, really big choke job. That was just oh my god! Still can't believe that happened. How? Uh, <laughs> but uh, they it's uh they play at one o'clock. Um, yeah, Carolina and Los Angeles. Uh, and the only reason why I mentioned that is because let's talk about the Chargers for a bit, right? So week two. Early on in the game, Tyrod Taylor, this Chargers starting quarterback, goes down with a chest injury. Um, initially, it was only reported he had to go to the hospital for chest pains. Well, yesterday we found out that apparently um, Tyrod had cracked ribs, and after the injury happened, um, the team doctor tried to administer him a shot of painkillers, and he punctured his fucking lung. Look, I'm not going to sit here. And be an and be a keyboard doctor. I don't know shit about the medical profession. Alright, I don't. But and I get it. You, in order to administer that shot, you'd have to deliver it into the muscle tissues that uh are a part of your ribs. But one, how big of a fucking needle do you have to have to do that? And two you think a trained medical professional, like, be able to do it, like, in and out, you know? Because um, apparently they did, they thought they needed Tyrod that bad. Justin Herbert had to come in. He didn't play too bad. He actually had a really solid game. Um, whether or not that was a case of just the team not expecting Tyrod to get hurt, and so they did not game plan for Justin Herbert at all and how the play calling was going to change, I don't know. But, man, no, that's like, could could Tyrod sue for that? Because there's no news of it being malpractice on the team doctor's part, but it's also like, they're advising him not to play indefinitely. That could, like, be a career ender. I don't know if, like, a punctured lung is like you have to retire immediately because I don't know how many cases of it there's been uh, in the league or just sports history. So that'll that'll be kind of interesting to follow as time goes on. Um, if I was Tyrod, I'd be fucking livid. Like you had one job, dude, and you you stabbed my shit. You stabbed me in the lung. <laughs> like I'd be pissed off, but. That's just me. Um, Oh, yeah. Um, Also, I have a battle of two teams who are just, who got fucked by the injury bug. Um, 49ers and Giants. 49ers lost Solomon Thomas and, God, I gotta try to remember which Bosa brother is. Nick Bosa. Yeah, Joey Bosa's a charger. Um, But, yeah, no, those two done for the year more than likely. Um, if it hasn't already been announced, it probably has. But again, I don't keep up with the 49ers. Uh, meanwhile, New York Giants. Uh, Barkley, done for the year. Um, for all I know, New York could just have said, fuck it at that exact moment. We're, we're tanking for Trevor. That's the game plan for the rest of the year. Um, and if it is, that's tough. Uh, you also got, like... Uh, Apologies. Um, 
Texans, Steelers, uh, that game, 1 o'clock, CBS. Uh, you have a Texans team where Sean Watson is probably praying to every god in the history of mankind to get him some damn help. Um, meanwhile, the Steelers' offense looks to continue to improve, and they also hope that the defense uh, front seven stays as dominant as it has been, and the uh, secondary continues to improve. Now, granted, the first two games of the year for Pittsburgh in the secondary's defense, um, second half, they play a lot of prevent just to ensure that, like, no big blaze can, blaze, plays can happen and they don't have any, like, comeback attempts happen on them. Uh, but again, um, that should be a good game, but it's also, like, will we see Deshaun Watson just bitch smack Bill O'Brien because he has nothing? He has David Johnson, but David Johnson hasn't been the same since he got hurt. Uh... Green Bay, New Orleans, um, I think Drew Brees will have a bounce back from how he looked against uh, the Raiders. Um, meanwhile, Green Bay, uh, Aaron Rodgers is probably just going to be Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if Devontae Adams is going to go off like he did. Um, but then again, he very well may. Uh Dallas, Seattle. Uh, Dallas is there. You got to try to stop a Russell Wilson who's already playing at an MVP level. Um, this early on in the season, uh, Dallas. Hopefully, for them, they don't get off to the same start they did last week because I don't think Seattle's gonna let them come back into it. But that's just, yeah. man. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the Atlanta game. That was insane. Just because it's like you were up. You you had dropped 39 points on them. The game was done. And again, I wasn't able to watch it. I don't know what transpired, but I can only imagine that Atlanta started playing conservative as shit, took their foot off the gas pedal, and they got taken advantage of. They got violated. Um, that's, in my mind, what happened. If anyone can prove me wrong, please do. Uh, and then, to cap it off, uh, talk about the um, Kansas City-Baltimore game. Uh, this game last year was really fun to watch, uh, with, but you had the Kansas City Chiefs prevailing. Um I think it won't be as high scoring as it was last year. Uh, I think that both teams will probably... Well, actually, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Depending on how Baltimore wants to play this, uh, obviously you have to worry about guys like Jones on that defensive front, Tyron Matthew coming down from the secondary and disrupting option plays. But uh, I don't know. Depending on how Baltimore plays this, I think they could... uh, Put on put more points on the board than some people may expect. Meanwhile, uh, Mahomes uh, is going to have to play a pretty damn good Baltimore defense. But when you got guys like Travis Kelsey, uh, Tyreek Hill, uh, Nicole Hardman has proven that he can get some big plays for his team. Uh, again, this one it's it's hard to call for me. It really is. But if I had to pick. 
if I had to pick. I'm going to say the Kansas City Chiefs win it 27-20 with uh, the running game being what wins it for Kansas City if they can get it going. If they can't, then Baltimore will take it. But I think if Kansas City can get any semblance of a running game going, then they will be able to pull away by one score and stay as happy campers. Move to 3-0 and on the year. Uh, picking some other games now, or predicting uh, some other games. Uh, Green Bay, New Orleans, uh, I think Drew Brees and the Saints are going to have a nice bounce-back day. Um, I think they're going to game plan better to not have Mike Thomas. And uh, I'm going to say the New Orleans Saints win it 24-17 to with uh, Devontae Adams being held in check. And uh, Vonta Scatling not really being able to get involved in the game plan. I think it's going to really hurt Green Bay. And uh, they're just not going to be able to capture enough momentum to win the game. Uh, Dallas-Seattle. Dallas-Seattle. Now, I could just do the thing that it would be very easy to just go ahead and assume that Russ is going to stay doing what he's been doing so far through two weeks, and that's playing out of his damn mind. But the Seattle defense, it's not impenetrable. I wouldn't even say it's elite. I'm not saying they're bad, you know, but it's definitely not like Dak can't throw on this defense. It's definitely not like Zeke can't run on him. Um, But I think after watching how the Dallas Cowboys started last week, I think Pete Carroll and the Seahawks might end up underestimating them and it'll end up hurting them. Um, and so I'm going to say Dallas takes it 21 to 14, or no, not 21, 28 to 14, 28, 14, uh, with Ezekiel Elliott having, uh, his first like really big performance of the year. Uh, Pittsburgh, Houston, um, I wanna, I wanna give Houston some props, but it's like, I just their offense is just like so easy to look past. Granted, that could cause Pittsburgh to lose, but it's also like, I don't know, man. Like Houston, I'm sorry if there are any Texans fans watching. I'm sorry, but I just I I can't see y'all doing well in this. I'm gonna say. Pittsburgh wins it 20 to 3. Um, I don't think Pittsburgh's offense is gonna go off because the Houston Texans defense isn't horrible by any means, but I don't think Houston's gonna be able to get anything going. Um, I think Dupree and Watt are gonna have a field day, and even if they can't rack up sacks, they're just gonna bring more attention to themselves, which is gonna allow to it Tyson Alawalu and Cam Hayward to be able to wreak havoc and I just don't see the receivers being able to do much. I think you're going to see Pittsburgh play a lot of man-to-man this game instead of zone. And uh, Texans, it's it's going to get worse before it gets better. Meanwhile, for Pittsburgh, they win this one. They're going to get a lot of love from the media. And obviously, you're going to keep hearing the trend of, wow, just imagine this team had Big Ben last year, even though it probably wouldn't have done too well regardless. But, yeah. Uh, Las Vegas, New England. This Vegas team, I'm actually – starting to get a bit high on just because first two weeks of the season, they've scored 30 plus Derek Carr's look great. Josh Jacobs look great. Um, Darren Waller, I think is going to continue to get, get better and better and better as the year goes on. 
Um, but it's also Cam Newton has looked fantastic. Oh, excuse me, in New England. Um, and obviously, you know, in terms of coaches, Gruden versus Belichick, uh, no disrespect to John Gruden, but I'd still take Belichick over him. Um, I think that Belichick is really going to emphasize taking Josh Jacobs out of the game and then put the game on the shoulders of Derek Carr. And while he's gotten off to a very good start, I don't know if Derek Carr is ready to completely control a game by himself yet. And so I am going to give the win to the New England Patriots. I say they are going to win 28-17. to 17. Um, Raiders will get their first loss of the season. New England moves to 2-1. and one. And Cam will continue to silence even more of his critics. And to end the episode, it's a nice game. Miami, Jacksonville, Beard versus the Stash, uh, Fitzmagic, Minshew, Mania. I am going to go Jags. <laughs> I'm going to go Jaguars. Uh, Miami, it's just other than, you know, being able to at times surprise. Like, that's kind of been Miami's MO for the past few years. They're able to surprise people, but like... You got two of the biggest meme guys in the NFL, and personally, I just like all the Minshew Mania memes better, so that's kind of why I'm picking Jacksonville. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to say Jacksonville wins it uh, 21-10. to 10. Not anything special, not anything tremendous, but I'm going to say they're going to win it 21-10. Uh, they'll be able to move to 2-1. Miami falls to 0-3. And uh, it might get him closer to two a time. Maybe not. All depends on how Fitzpatrick plays. But, uh, yeah, so that'll do it for this episode. Uh, wanted to get a full hour, but uh, it also contributes to the fact that I did this, as you probably heard, a bit too early. I'm sure I sound tired. I was yawning and hiccuping the whole episode, which apologies for that, but it's also, like, erratic sleep schedule. Um... But also, it's it's kind of it's starting to it's that weird wind down zone where you know gonna have to wait till at least January for the NBA to be back and playoffs for the NFL will be starting at that point. College football season will probably be over at that point. Um, maybe not. We might still be playing college football into the spring. Who knows? Um, but yeah, uh, even though it didn't get the full hour, oh, it's close to fifty minutes, so I'm happy about that. But uh, if you enjoyed. Um, give a favorite to the podcast. Uh, don't know when it will be going up on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I'll work that out in the coming days. Um, should be settled after the first episode is posted, though. Uh, again, uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Jump Ball Version Two or uh, Two Point Uh, YouTube channel, uh, just Jump Ball. Um, you can find the link to it on the Instagram page. And uh, you can also follow our Twitter, uh, which is also up on the Instagram page. Um, I'll probably link it to the YouTube channel as well. Uh, But again, if you enjoyed, let us know. Leave a review, favorite the podcast, follow our socials, and I will see you guys next time.